Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. It's like this whole idea of the embodied self, embodied cognition, because we're all, you know, beings, energetic beings in this body. And there's so much we can do to shift our lives by changing how our bodies work and move through this world, you know? And so a lot of times I find when the physical and the chemistry is stabilized, then through their own experiences, they have then at that point the bandwidth, a lot of the stuff starts opening up and they could then be able to process the more emotional stuff. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Bettys, welcome back to The Better Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I just want to start off this episode by saying thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my Betty heart. (laughs) My new book, The Betty Body, comes out on Tuesday of this week. And thanks to all of you, all of my Bettys in this community, the book has already hit number one bestseller in over 20 categories, 20 categories in pre-sales, including women's health, nutrition, healthy diets, alternative, uh, holistic medicine, and many others. And I am just... I just can't wait for you to get this book. And I have to tell you, um, we I received word from my publisher that they uh, Amazon has the Kindle edition or the ebook right now drastically reduced. It is only a 99 cents. It is less than a buck in the US or the equivalent in other countries. And I don't have any idea how long the discount is going to last. So what I want you to do right now is press pause on this podcast, go and order it, get it for less than a buck. And And um, just look up The Betty Body or my name, Dr. Stephanie Estima. All right. So with that, thank you um, out of the way. I just I just love my Bettys so much. This week, I have a super geeky magic carpet ride for you. My guest this week is Dr. Titus 
Chew. Now, Dr. Titus is a number one best-selling author as well. Uh, he's an international speaker. He's a functional neurologist who specializes in post-concussion syndrome. And when did we have a fun discussion? And when I say fun, I mean extra nerdy. So we talked first about what concussion is, what are some of the three parameters or three verticals that a concussion can affect. So we talked about the physical brain, the chemical brain, and the emotional brain. We talked about posture. This is a really big um, uh, source of uh, love for me in my practice. The the relationship between posture, your eyes, and your brain health. So we talked about that. We talked about some of the components of a physical exam. Uh, we talked about some of the. Uh, I went. We went super nerdy and uh, talked about something called perla or p e r r l a. That was my little Italian flair on that p e r r l a. Pupils equal regular and reactive to light and accommodation. Um, And we went on and talked about the different types of eye movements. So we talked about pursuits versus saccadic eye movement, where the different areas in the brain that happens. So a saccadic movement, for example, is the type of eye movement that you will see when you're watching somebody read a book or read an email. And a pursuit is very much a smooth, uh, very much a smooth movement where the eyes are following a target. So we talked about that. We talked about concussion and neuroplasticity. So we talked about how we were taught, you know, in school that the brain just cannot, uh, you know, once it, once it's damaged, it's damaged. And of course he, uh, completely kiboshed that. And we talked about, um, the role of diet in reducing inflammation, the role of movement supplementation, uh, in, in healing a concussion and how we give our brains a break. We talked about high tech and low tech healing modalities and you know some of his favorite clinical tools for brain optimization. So this was a really awesome conversation and I wanted to pay per, like when you are thinking about who might benefit from this podcast, really anyone who's ever had a head injury, however slight. So we often think about concussions as like football and you know you know having you know a bunch of men pile up on you as they just did recently in the, in the Super Bowl. But Really, it can be a header, like jumping up for a header could be falling down and bumping your head while you're skating or you're skiing. Like these are all uh, more minor, but they can be absolutely traumatic um, brain uh, sources of inflammation. So we talk a lot about how to heal that. We talked about Dr. Chu's work as well. And it was just really great in general to speak with someone who is as passionate about brain metabolism and brain healing and the structure and function of the brain as I am. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Titus Chu. I am a huge fan of the BioOptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle 
also building recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apreski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. And for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Dr. Titus Chu, I am so thrilled to welcome you to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I am so excited. I was just saying in the pre-chat that it's very, like, I really wanted you on the podcast because I want to geek out hard today oh, on yeah. functional neurology. So I, we are going to have a great conversation about brain health and actionable items. We're going to talk about eyes. We're going to talk about all the good, all the good things. Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to start maybe our conversation, like I was saying, it's kind of rare to find people who are so into the brain as, as you are, um, mm -hmm. and functional neurology in general. I mean, we, I've had neurologists on the podcast, but functional neurology is separate and distinct from neurology. So we can, we can get into what that distinction is, but maybe just to start to give our Bettys context and Bettys are the fans of the show. All um, right, Bettys. Our Bettys, yeah. <laughs> Betty. Maybe you can explain to us how you first became interested in this was, and I'd love to, I know that there's a story behind it, but I'd love for you to, you know, let's start at the start and, and figure out how this what became a passion and your life's work. Sure. So over 20 years ago, I was actually on, I was on my way to work one day and I got hit by a car. I was actually on a scooter and the impact was so strong. It threw me through the air and thank God I survived. But I ended up with a dislocated shoulder, broken ribs and a concussion. And to make a long story short, I even though I survived that, car accident, I was left with chronic pain and a concussion. And so I looked within everything within I knew within conventional medicine to find answers. And 
I was shocked because I was actually raised in a family of, you know, conventional medicine and, you know, with this, like just society in general, I thought that that's what like the, the gold standard, so to speak of, of healthcare. And I was shocked that I couldn't find any answers. So I decided to go outside the box and I actually went back to school. I got a postdoc in clinical neurology, got um, studied nutrition and master's nutrition and also became a chiropractor. And through that whole process of just learning about all these amazing things in terms of brain health, in terms of just overall health and holistic health in general, I was blown away because it was just like this whole new world opened up that I didn't know existed before. And not only was it intellectually stimulating it also was experiential because when i would learn these things in school or at seminars and i i was a total seminar junkie (laughs) all my free time i would go to seminars and learn as much as i could to take back to my patients but also i would experiment with the stuff myself and i found that a lot of these chronic health issues that i grew up with even before that car accident started to go away by simple dietary changes, by taking supplements. And so not only was my mind just totally engaged and like blown away by this whole paradigm shift, like I experienced all the benefits of it along the way as well. And so the interesting thing is even though like I I had all these health issues before the concussion, those things improved. And then when I dove deeper into neurology, which I just fell in love with, because I found it to be such an amazing framework to understand, like what makes us tick and what we can do to really help our patients at a whole nother level. When I dove deep into that world and I started experimenting with those things, like the different technologies and eye exercises, all these different things um, and advanced lab testing and whatnot a lot of that chronic pain and concussion symptoms that I had after that car accident just magically disappeared as well. And I was at that point, I was already a believer, but then I was just like, I experienced it at such a deep level that I'm so passionate about sharing that with people ever since the day that I healed my own broken brain. I I love that. And I think it's, it's so cool to be able to be your own end of one experiment. Right. So I can just imagine you in school being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to totally go and try this GI test or to see if I have this, you know, and then kind of manipulating the, you know, the variables that you have in your own life and being like, oh yeah, yeah, like I can actually see as a patient, you know, what kind of outcomes I can, you know, I can propagate with, you know, with these certain, you know, interventions. So it, it makes you, I think it also makes you a better doctor in some ways when you're able to experience what it is and have empathy for the, you know, the patient in front of you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, that's what I really learned. It's like, there's one level of the textbook, you know, doctor or researcher or scientist, and that's very valuable because you need that information. Right. And I love that. I love the science. I love cracking open, you know, textbooks and searching on PubMed, the latest articles, But then most importantly, it's like, okay, how can I take this information and then share it with someone to change their life, like the way it changed my life. So very much like I explained before, it's like there's that intellectual stimulation and and learning process, which I absolutely love. But then the actual experience of healing, that's like on a whole nother level. So yeah, you nailed it on the head. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about when we think about holistic 
care for the brain. And we can, and I want to parse this into sort of, you know, if you don't have a concussion and you're thinking about how can I optimize my brain? And then for people who have suffered concussions, whether it is something, and maybe we can even actually, let's actually start with concussions because I think that people think, oh, well, it's just if I get into a very severe uh, MV motor vehicle accident, or if, you know, I, I'm a hockey player or I'm a football player. And of course those things happen, but I think that there's sometimes there's more nuance to, there can be concussions from, you know, falling off a bike or, you know, mm-hmm. w- just where we see the brain getting jostled just a little bit. And if there's yeah. a sensitivity there, then we can start to see some of these concussive type symptoms. So let's maybe start with concussion because I know that that's your jam, that's your specialty and maybe define, um, some of the different areas that we might, or different pillars that we might look at when we're trying to evaluate brain health in a, in a concussive patient. Yeah. So that's, that's a great question and great way to explore that conversation, you know, and, and the interesting thing is through this framework that I discovered over 20 years, healing my brain and working with patients and teaching other doctors, the three pillars of brain health, it's quite amazing because we can take that framework and apply it to concussion, but we could take that same framework and apply it to people struggling with anxiety or brain fog, you know, and what I find so fascinating because everything's connected and, you know, the nervous system is one of the master control centers of our bodies. I've, I've worked with a lot of patients who they had chronic gut issues that were actually as a consequence of the nervous system. And it wasn't until they worked on that. And we'll talk about different ways, you know, we can do that, apply those, these ideas like practically, but that's, that's the beautiful thing is with this framework, it's, it works for so many different types of chronic health issues. But just like you say, yeah, my specialty is post-concussion syndrome, um, <laughs> kind of by nature of my own experiences, you know. And so the three pillars of brain health, these, this framework that I discovered, like I said, over the 20 years healing my brain and working with other patients and teaching other doctors is the what I've discovered is you need these three pillars to really have optimal brain health. And in this discussion to be able to fully recover from a concussion. And the first pillar is what we call the physical brain. So I have my little brain model for those of you guys who are just listening right now, I'm holding up this beautiful colored brain model. And what you can see here is all these different, you know, what we call the gyri, the little like squiggles in between the, um, all these different uh, regions of the brain. And what that represents is like these different, like deeper built into these like overall structure, our brain cells, right? Our like our, what we call neurons. And the neurons communicate with one another in this fancier term we call neural networks. So you can kind of think about like telephone wires communicating across, you know, distances. And especially now with Wi-Fi, we can communicate across the globe. That's a beautiful example of a neural network. Even though we might be separated you know, distances across the state or country or world, we can join together with a common purpose, like to share this information as an example, right, empower right. people to, you know, take control of their health. Same thing happens in the brain. You have these neural networks that are devoted and dedicated to specific functions. So we have neural networks that, you know, allow us to experience gratitude and happiness and joy when they're working. Right. And so that's the physical brain. It's the actual physical structures, the communication pathways that give us our experience of the world within us and around us. 
So that's the first pillar. The second pillar of brain health is what I call the chemical brain. And so the chemical brain refers to the neurochemical milieu that our physical brain exists in. So the analogy I like to use is like a tree. So if you have a tree with all the you know branches and the leaves, and then you have the roots, like the extra structure, that's the physical brain. But what's it buried in? It's surrounded by and nurtured by the chemistry, the soil, so to speak, right? And so the chemical brain refers to that soil that our physical brains exist in. And so things like um, blood sugar balance, things such as hormones even, and things such as mitochondria health and nutrients, all those provide sustenance for the physical brain, right? So without the chemical brain, then the physical brain wouldn't thrive. And without the physical brain, then you don't have brain function, right? And you can experience symptoms. And so that's the second pillar of brain health is the chemistry or the chemical brain. And finally, the third pillar is the emotional brain. And that refers to mindset and our beliefs about ourself, our, the world around us, the beliefs about our health or lack thereof. All those, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting because in my experience with the emotional brain, there's a lot of physical brain structures that are actually intertwined. So even though I'm talking about the three pillars of brain health, it's all connected, right? But what I've found is all three pillars have to be relatively intact for us to really experience great health, you know, and especially when it comes to healing from a concussion, all three pillars need to be in place. And that's what I found. Um, one big mistake I see a lot of patients make, including some practitioners and doctors and in concussion care is just focusing on maybe one of the pillars. So as an example, in a more kind of real world examples with the physical brain and the structures I described, things such as eye exercises or vestibular rehab or chiropractic, massage therapy, physical therapy, all these different somatic and sensory-based therapies, they work on the physical brain. We can actually trigger what's known as neuroplasticity through that process, the more the more fancy term is experience-dependent neuroplasticity. So all these different senses and movements we can use intentionally to regrow and heal areas of the physical brain. So that's an example of you know different types of therapies that are targeting the physical brain. And like I said, I find a lot of times I work with patients who've had a concussion, they might have gone to a chiropractor or a vestibular therapist or PT or somebody to work on their physical brain, they might've felt better, but then they hit a plateau and quickly within like five, 10, 15 minute conversation, I could figure out, Oh my goodness, we need to look at your chemical brain. Right. And what does that look like? Just like you mentioned before, like looking at stool testing or looking at blood testing and urine testing to explore the actual chemistry, what's going on with the person's mitochondria, their gut brain axis, what's happening with the hormones, you know? What are they, are they eating? Yeah. yeah, what are they eating? Exactly. Yeah. I was about to say that. It's like, yeah. do they have food sensitivities triggering inflammation within and impacting the communication, right. you know, occurring within the physical brain? So it's really important. It's not just a theoretical framework. It's very, you know, important for the recovery of concussion. That's what I see a lot of times people might just explore one avenue and not look at the bigger picture. And so then a lot of times they see them hitting plateaus. 
Yeah. And I also, just to kind of back that up, I see uh, the emotional brain is also mm-hmm. often, we don't talk about it because it's very intangible. Like it's really easy to do a stool test and say, look at all the data or the okay. blood test and say, okay, have data, right? Or to, you know, maybe we can look at the eyes and we can have some, you know, there's some nuance to understand like, okay, the frontal lobe is working like this, parietal lobe is working like this, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into. But mm-hmm. I also find the emotional brain is often ignored as well. We don't talk to our patients about how to forgive themselves, about how to have grace and love and compassion for what they're going through. And I don't know if you found that I'm, I'm no longer in uh, clinical practice, but it was always lawyers. I had always lawyers who are getting concussed. And I don't know why that is. I think it's because they're head down over paperwork for like 18 hours a day. But I would always have lawyers who were type A personalities. And it's like, you have to give yourself the space to heal. And they just would never do like, they would never allow themselves to heal. And then of course they get second impact. Like then something else happens, they re-injure themselves and they're so angry. I don't know if that's like a, that's just a clinical pattern that I would notice. Always lawyers, always lawyers, always my lawyers would get concussed. But even, even, even if it was someone who wasn't a lawyer, it was always the people with the worst prognosis were the ones who didn't give them themselves the runway to actually step into the rehab. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an important concept you bring up because that was actually part of my experience, you know, cause like I, I knew all these things in, in school and I would like, I was just really committed to learning as much as I could to bring it back to my patients and also experimenting on myself. But what I found, and you know, when I talk about the emotional brain with my patients and clients, I talk about how important it is to create that space. And there's actually a neurological basis for that. There's a uh, neural network that's known as the default mode network. Yes. And the default mode network gets tied in. When you look at the brain, you know, when I'm showing you this model here, you know, we have one brain, but we have a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. And the left hemisphere is very much involved in, you know, what you're describing, kind of like the, a lawyer, like type A personality. And I actually work with a lot of high achievers, regardless if they're lawyers or they're doctors or they're entrepreneurs. And I find the same thing, but it's funny because that's kind of was my experience in my healing journey. And what I actually not only read about in textbook, it was until I created space in my life. Right. But there's specific things. Like when we talk about brain training, that's part of the, you know, when we talk about things to strengthen the physical brain, that's part of the conversation. But just like if you're training your body and you're trying to grow muscles, you're trying to, you know, get bigger or get more tone, as you know, you can't just train all the time. You end up having overtraining syndrome, right? That's right. And yeah. then you actually lose muscle mass and tone. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing goes for the brain. And so back to what I was saying, it's like the left brain is very much involved with like focused, engaged, concentrated tasks, right? So as a doctor, you know, I do a lot of patient care and it's like a whole detective process. When I was a student, I was going to school and learning and sitting and absorbing all that, right? But the interesting thing is, and the left hemisphere is involved with this one neural network called the central executive network. And that's, again, that's a neural network that allows us to have focused, organized thought processes, right? Whereas the right hemisphere, it's more involved with insight and intuition and creativity and 
in our context, healing. So, and the right hemisphere is very much like tied up with this other neural network I mentioned, the default mode network. So the interesting thing is, is, it's like yin yang though. When you have the left brain activated and the central executive network and your focus, guess what? The right hemisphere, the default mode network shuts down. So what you're describing, and yeah, what I see a lot in my practice and what I experience is totally real. There's a scientific physical basis for that is because when you're so engaged, and I see this a lot with my patients too, when they get so focused on fixing their health, right? They're burning up a lot of mental energy and activating their left hemisphere. So sometimes a big part of when I work with people, a big part of what I do, I'm like, okay, for this phase of care, maybe for the first phase of care, we're going to work on activating your right hemisphere and we're going to do things to help you know, engaged the the healing aspects of your nervous system, right? But the cool thing is it's not just about sitting around doing nothing. There's actual specific ways, just like we can target, you know, different regions of the physical brain, like the left hemisphere to help strengthen. There's also specific activities that you can do intentionally to engage your right hemisphere and allow for healing. There's actually a Chinese term for it. It's called Wu Wei. It's the art of doing nothing. <laughs> and I talk about that a lot with my patients, you know, because that was my experience. Sometimes you have to slow down to speed up the healing process. So thanks for bringing that up because it's such an important concept for sure. I love that. I've never heard that term before, but it's, I always say to people like all your gains happen in recovery when you stop and same, like you were saying with muscles, right? Like if you're always training, you don't give your muscles actually a chance to repair and build and grow and get stronger. And the same is true for your brain. I love that. Okay. So let's actually parse through each one. So let's, maybe let's double click on the physical brain, for a moment, because I want to start building the, uh, you know, I want to, I want to extract from you all of your brilliance, especially around eye movement, because I know that from my own training in functional neurology, it is so subtle, but you can get such an incredible amount of data from the way that the eyes move. So let's maybe start with, let's actually start with the pupils and then we can move into like some of the different types of movements that the eyes engage in and what that can tell us about um, brain health. So I remember learning, you know, when you're evaluating your pupils, I always would think about like an Italian uh, grandmother being like, you always have to check for perla, you know, like the pupils are equal, (laughs) round, you know, regular and responsive to light. Yeah, that's my little acronym there. So let's, let's talk about the pupils and what they can tell us about about brain health. Yeah. So the pupils are a wonderful way. And just like we, we mentioned before, the the eyes, right, are such a beautiful window into the soul as well as the nervous system. And one of the things that we can look at to get a window into brain health is the pupils. And specifically one region is what we call the autonomic nervous system. And so that deals with the fight or flight response versus the rest and digest response. So a lot of times I see this a lot, people who've had concussions as an example, 
I might see both of their pupils just a lot wider than normal. And the reason for that is because when you're under a stress response or a fight or flight response, your pupils dilate, they get bigger to allow light to come in so you can fight and be able, so you can see things better and clearly. So be able to fight or flight right, or run away. And so what I see a lot of people who've had concussions, but not even just concussions, people who have experienced other types of trauma or chronic stress, they get stuck in their sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight response gets stuck in the on position. And so the pupils are really like easy way to ascertain, hey, is this going on, right? And then the whole thing, you know, with functionality, as you probably know, is it's not just one finding. It's like we look for patterns. So as in another example, if I see someone who has big pupils and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe they're stuck in the fight or flight response, right? The sympathetic what we call sympathetic tone, right? They're not, they're always just in a state of survival, so they can't heal. Then I'll look at things like their pulse. Is their pulse elevated? Do they have high blood pressure or are they are their palms sweaty or are their hands cold or are their feet cold? Because all those are windows into the autonomic nervous system and clues to the root cause for their symptoms. And that's the thing, you know, Uh, Dr. Stephanie, you talked about how, you know, when we talk about the emotional brain, it's so like subjective and so kind of like, you know, flowy, it's hard to, you know, uh, quantify it. The beautiful thing about functional neurology is we can look at these hard, like the size of a pupil, we can uh, palpate like the temperature of a person's fingers as a window into the stress response, right? right? And then we can do different things like, hey, I want you to like in practice or even virtually sometimes they'll say, okay, we looked at, we measured those things and a person had a big pupil and their hand was really cold, right? So I'm thinking, hmm, maybe they're stuck in the fight or flight response. Then I can have them do like a quote unquote emotional brain exercise, like uh, gratitude or just, you know, calming down. And you can watch the changes, right? And you watch the changes right before your eyes. It's amazing. The nervous system is both analog and digital. And the fact that it's digital, meaning you get instant feedback, Mm -hmm. you can see these things change before your very eyes. Now it doesn't mean it's going to last forever, but guess what? When I, when we do something like that, it's what we call a therapeutic trial. Like I'll have someone, you know, try doing an eye exercise or I'll have someone listen to certain type of music or I'll have someone, uh, you know, practice gratitude. And then we recheck those things that we just described, like the pupil or the blood pressure. And when those improve, guess what? We have nailed it in terms of that root cause. And more importantly, what they can do moving forward is because when they repeat those things that work for them through the miracle neuroplasticity, those things change over time and become more and more permanent. You know, so yeah, as in, going back to your original questions in functionality, there's all these amazing windows into brain function that are objective. And I find so many people who struggle with brain health challenges, whether concussion or anxiety or brain fog, they're really like scared because they think it's like, oh my goodness, is it just in my head? You know, and it's because it's such a subjective experience. But the beautiful thing is like through these assessment processes, through quizzes, questionnaires and a neurological evaluation that can be done virtually, we can get to the root cause and the physical reasons why they're experiencing all those symptoms. 
The beautiful thing, and I just want to highlight how important what you just said is, because if you are able to, what I would often find is the test would become the therapy. So you just said, I would mm-hmm. do an emotional brain exercise, like get them into gratitude and then recheck their physiology. So we would see maybe the resting heart rate di- uh, dips, maybe their pupils are able to, uh, you know, constrict and hold that constriction rather than blowing out back to that dilation, maybe their thoracic, maybe their ability to, you know, expand the thoracic cage changes. And then what's beautiful in terms of the messaging there is it's like, no, you're not broken. Like the wiring is there. The hard wiring for you to get into your parasympathetics is there. And it's just a matter of practice, right? So, and I love what you're saying because you're really looking at this from a totalitarian, like it's not just the, okay, Mm -hmm. your pupils are blown out. Like, you know, and of course there's like, you know, we see people with antidepressants as changes and like, you know, kids with ADD, we see that their pupil, like their pupillary response is, is affected. But mm-hmm. you can do, you can have these subtle interventions and retest and say, okay, so it worked, right? Like your nervous system responded. So now go and do that thing more often. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is, it's like a lot of it can be taught too. You know, it's like you, that's one of my passions is not only just working with patients in office and me doing that. It's like teaching people. It's like, hey, check this out. Like, look at your balance. Now try making a fist with your right hand. Look, your balance just improved improved. Right. Right. And that's a window into brain function. So they can do things like exercise or different movements with their right hand, because that can also help, you know, improve and exercise those parts of their nervous system. And that's the thing. It's like specificity is key, making sure, because not only trying to strengthen the physical brain, but we also want to bring symmetry. So sometimes I might have people just balance on their right leg while they're doing like a uh, infinity movement with their right arm and they're turning their head from side to side, looking at a dot as an example. Like those are different ways of building like these at home brain training exercise routines that really target the root cause for a lot of brain health challenges like concussion and anxiety and brain fog and whatnot. I love that. That's so great. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Let's, let's talk about a couple different eye movements, um, just to give the Betty sort of a whole, like a holistic picture here. So let's talk about saccadic, uh, eye movements. This is, if you look at someone when they're reading, you kind of see this like jumpy, um, Mm -hmm. eye movement. Can you define what saccadic eye movements are and what they tell us about brain health? Yeah, sure. So saccadic eye movements. So some people call it saccades, some people call it saccades. 
their overall potato, <laughs> potato, <laughs> exactly. Tomato, <laughs> tomato. That's yeah, yeah. the whole exactly. So uh, that being said, like what I like to explain to my patients and clients is they're just quick, fast eye movements. Just like you described, like if you're watching someone read a book, you'll see their eyes. They don't move smoothly, like in one fluid motion, they jump because they're jumping from word to word. That's a great example of uh, the quick eye movement or the saccadic eye movements. Now, the reason why that's so important for me as a functional neurologist is because I, like I mentioned before, there are physical windows into these different neural networks. And let me kind of back up for a second. These neural networks are the root cause for so many brain health challenges, right? Like I mentioned before, when your neural networks are working, the ones for compassion and gratitude and joy, then you have an amazing experience of your life. But when they're not working, when the communication is broken down, then you experience things like brain fog or depression, anxiety, light and sound sensitivity. Right. And so the reason why it's so important that we have these objective windows into the nervous system is because then, number one, we could identify what the root causes for a person's brain symptoms. Right. And then number two, we can match the right type of exercise or therapy or electroceutical device, all these different things at our disposal to then regrow and strengthen and balance those neural networks. So I just wanted to paint the big picture. Beautiful. So that being said, with the saccadic eye movements, you know, the reason why it's so important to make that distinction is because those quick eye movements that we just described, that's a powerful window into a very specific neural network, meaning it's a window into a very specific or several specific regions of their brain. So when I look at a person and, and how quick they can move their eyes, how accurate it is, and if there's any type of breakdown, like as an example, um, sometimes I'll have, I'll have a person look at my thumbs, right? I'll wiggle my thumb and I'll have them look towards my thumb and depending on how fast they move their eyes, aka reaction time, mm -hmm. how accurate their eye movement is. Like sometimes what I'll see is their eyes don't immediately go to my thumb. They'll jump. They'll miss the and target sometimes. Yeah, too. they'll miss the target. That's yeah. very, very revealing as to what's happening, for example, in a person's frontal lobe or prefrontal yeah. cortex, which is one of the root causes for things like um, ADD, ADHD, or being easily distracted or having poor focus and concentration or even anxiety and depression as an example. So when I see that, then I know without a doubt that, wow, we need to work on strengthening their prefrontal cortex. So for those of, uh, for all you Bettys out there listening, like your experience of it might be like, this is me describing what I see. Your experience might be you're at your computer, right? And you're working on your computer and all of a sudden your eyes jiggle or you don't notice your eyes jiggle, but you feel a little bit off or maybe a little dizzy or you get a headache or you feel nauseous or you start to get eye strain or like, uh, you know, pain above your, your eyebrows as an example. That's probably what happened. That area of your nervous system, the frontal lobe, like got tired. And so your eyes jiggled, but maybe you didn't, you know, you didn't realize that, but you experience these symptoms. And I see that yes. all the time. You know, my patients and clients, they describe, oh my goodness, you know, when I'm reading, that's when I feel the worst. I'm like, okay, so that's valuable because then I know we need to explore this specific neural network because that could be the root cause for their symptoms. And like I said, from there, we can de design really personalized 
brain training programs that people can do in the comfort of their own home to strengthen and balance those areas and get to the root cause for their symptoms. So yeah, that's an example of the psychotic eye movement. And then another one is what we call the pursuits, right? Smooth pursuits. And that's where a, a better example is like if you're walking down the street and you're checking out like a car driving by, right? So if the car isn't jerking along, <laughs> it's not going to speed <laughs> Assuming bump. they can drive standard. Assuming <laughs> they're driving good and they didn't have any issues with their prefrontal cortex, right? <laughs> so the driver's working, he's driving fine and he's driving smoothly your eyes are tracking that in a smooth motion. So if you were to look at someone watching a car, right, as an example of you, then their eyes are just going really smoothly. There's no of that jerkiness, right? So that's what we call a pursuit. The reason why that's important, again, is because that's a window into a different neural network related to what we call the parietal lobe and the cerebellum, the vestibulo cerebellum, as well as the brainstem and the pons. All these regions that I described, they're when, for example, if I see someone with a, when I do the test and I see there's subtle breakdown in like the smoothness of that movement, then I know one of those regions that I just rattled off that could be the root cause for their dizziness. That could be the root cause for their, um, you know, their clumsiness, or that could be the root cause even many times for their chronic neck and back pain because right. the parietal is very much involved with body awareness as an example. And so from there, um, again, for you buddies out there, what you might experience, if you might experience things like motion sickness, if you're in a car and it's not very windy, you might feel a bit nauseous, right? Or again, it, you can experience things when you're reading and when you're moving quickly, like walking around and trying to like engage your vision. A lot of times I see people, you know, with uh, concussions, especially they, you know, they might've done a lot of different things in therapies and then they're better. But the one thing that's still like throwing them off is when they go for a run, they still get flared up and they feel terrible. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons for that is could, be, could be because that smooth type of tracking movement of their eyes is not as really, it's really subtle, right? It's not like their eyes won't move. And that's the thing. That's why I think it's so frustrating for a lot of patients is because they don't even realize it's coming from their eyes, but then they experience all these symptoms and then they go to a doctor and the doctor is just like, Oh, you're totally fine. You know, they might've done the exact same tests that I do, but a lot of doctors, you know, like especially conventional neurologists, but not even just conventional neurologists, people who aren't trained to look for the subtleties, they just say, oh, you're totally fine. Whereas when I do these tests, I'm looking for any subtle breakdown because that's a window into the root cause, right? Right. And so you have to so often you got to get it on the first try, right? Because there's that priming that happens. And that's what like that's why I think what you're what you're saying is so, you know, we're not, I think clinicians in general, unless you take some of the specialized training that you have, you're mm -hmm. really not, you know, if you're repeating the test four or five, six times on the patient, like they're all they're gonna get better, right? Like the yeah. time number five is gonna be way better than time number one. So as the doctor, you also need to be quick because if you yeah, don't, yeah. if you can't get it, then they're you're priming them to actually, you know, it's like the test is the therapy. Like the more you do it, the better they're going to get. Right. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's like the flip side too. And that in and of itself is revealing. Like I might see someone the, you know, that first initial movement, there's a slight, you know, a shake of their eyeballs. And then sometimes like you described, it improves. And then like what we talked about before, that will be their personalized therapy. 
I'll have them do these eye exercises because it's actually helping. Yeah. But the flip side of it, sometimes I see that initial like shake of the eyeballs. And then when we continue it, it gets worse. And then they get dizzy and nauseous. And I'm like, okay, we need to find another way. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the observation is really, really important. But one thing that it's really cool that then I teach my patients and clients is whenever they start to feel symptomatic, like one thing that they, a lot of them take away from these programs I build for them is they become really tuned in to when they've reached a certain threshold. And this goes back to what we said, we we're talking about earlier, Dr. Stephanie, it's like when you have people just trying to like fight through it and push through it, when it comes to the healing process, you can't do that. There's certain times where you want to push yourself, you know, but there's other times where you have to really listen to that. But I found that so many patients, especially if they don't even know it's their eyes that are at the root cause for their symptoms, they just keep going because they didn't know when they reached that threshold. Right. So a lot of that whole process is, you know, like there's the treatments and the therapies we can do. But then the educational part is I teach them how to become really in tune with right before or, you know, when they reach that threshold and they start creating more symptoms. It's like, okay, when does that happen? Like, oh, that that happens like, uh, uh, you know, five minutes before I start to experience. Or sometimes they're just like, I don't know. It just happens and I'm out for five days, right? So then we start to like shorten that window and teach them like, no, actually it happens right when you're on the computer and you feel that jiggle, guess what? It's time to take a little mini break, right? Sometimes that in and of itself, you know, when we took talked about Wu Wei, this concept of slowing down, it doesn't mean just taking like a week long retreat. Sometimes we need that, right? But it could be these little practical daily habits that you build into your everyday life that can totally accelerate the healing process. I love that. That's so great. And so powerful too, because it doesn't have to be, I need to go to Bali and stay there for a month. It can be, I'm just going to leave the screen. Maybe I'm going to give myself a little eye massage, you know, take a five minute nap, you know, something (laughs) and then come back to it. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to have a lot of time and money uh, behind it. It can be very subtle. So I really, really appreciate what you're, what you're saying there. I want to, I want to build in the neck a little bit, because one of the things, you know, from a neurological perspective, we know uh, the nerves that innervate the eye. So primarily cranium of three, four, uh, also six, 12 and spine and the spine, they're in the same, like embryologically same homologous column. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the neck and I would always see this, and this is a lot, we have a lot of chiropractors that listen to the, to the podcast as well. So when you think about the integration of neck care, I think this is so important with brain health, because as Mm -hmm. you're head comes forward, or I would see women all the time, flat spines or, you know, kyphotics, like reverse curve spines. As the head comes forward, your visual field starts to decrease, right? Let that 60 to 90 degrees, you know, let's say on the right side um, of your visual field is you know, the ipsilateral cortex, right? It's going to the right lobe. But if your head is forward, now your periphery, your ability to have peripheral vision is going to be affected. And this would be a big part of like when I had, when I had patients, uh, all my female lawyers <laughs> were concussed, a big part of their care was yeah. restoring the cervical curve, you know, mm-hmm. and that was, and, and just generally modern life. And I would love for you to speak to this, but I would find 
I mean, concussed or not, you know, we are sitting in this like flexed position all the time. And the neck is that reverse, like lordotic curve. It needs to be extended and, you know, extended and rotated. Because if you, if you can't rotate your head all the way to one side, you're going to be affecting your peripheral um, vision. What is maybe uh, I'd love for you to expand on um, that that's a pattern that I would notice. Like that was a really important part or a central part of our care was neck health. Because if you had a, you know, a sigmoid, if you had like an S shaped curve or kyphotic mm-hmm. curve or flat, you know, your prognosis was going to be poor. It would be less optimistic versus someone who had a lordotic uh, curve in their spine. Is that something that you noticed or something that you integrate into your, into your treatment plans at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially for, you know, like, because like I said earlier, I'm trained as a chiropractor, a chiropractic neurologist. So a big part of what I do, in addition to these more advanced applications of the eyes and the senses is adjustments, right? And that's so important because when you have what you describe, like that forward head posture, that anterior head carriage, like not only does it impact like like brain function and peripheral vision, it's like it impacts everything, right. uh, you know, physically it impacts like our ability to take deep breaths, right? Just, you know, number, and it also impacts our strength, but then chemically it also impacts because when you change the respiration, you change the actual like chemistry of your blood as an example. And then from there, we can even talk about the emotional impacts, right? You, You heard about the idea of, you know, how you can change your emotional state by changing your posture, your physiology. It's totally true. And so if someone's stuck, like with their head forwards, like, what do we think of? If you see someone who's slumped over, like seated with their head down, are they joyful? Are they happy? Right? No, they're probably depressed and tired. And so the beautiful thing is though, like since it's all connected, when you start shifting the physical, the structure, and you improve their posture, all those things improve. The brain function improves, like their chemistry improves as well as their emotional state. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the coolest things as a chiropractor, and I'm sure other people out there, either who are practitioners, whether chiropractic or like a somatic therapist, or people who have experienced that is you can improve that not by like thinking about it all the time, right? That's the whole idea of chiropractic and these somatic therapies. You make what is should be unconscious, unconscious again, right? right. So as an example, what I mean by that, we shouldn't have to think about our posture, right? I, I kind of, I have these flashbacks of my parents telling me to sit up right now. That's a lot of prefrontal lobe stress, right? It's like, okay, sit up. We can do that, but it's exhausting, right? So think about it. And this is, you know, I totally geek out about this because that's the basis for a lot of the work I do. When you improve like the physical stuff, it's like all these other things start to open up these other worlds emotionally, cognitively, as an example, if I had to think about my posture all the time, like I said, I can, but that involves a lot of frontal lobe engagement. Then I don't have any bandwidth for the higher functions, right? And like my higher self of compassion and patience and, you know, organized thought and having a vision and dreams. It's like all of it is going towards me being able to have good posture. Yeah. But I mean, think about it now. We've all experienced that. 
growing up. When we are infants and then toddlers, all of our energy, especially when we're learning how to like uh, go from creeping to crawling and sitting and then standing and then walking, like all of our energy is towards those functions to be able to move. So we don't have the ability to then be like patient and be focused and whatnot. So a lot of the work I do is by you know, looking at the physical structures of posture, looking at the neurological function, improving those things so a person can move through life more at ease. Because when that happens, then these other neural networks that are all, they're in charge of movement, right? And balance and posture. They're also in charge of the higher functions of humanity, what we call executive functioning, right? And so when we improve that either through chiropractic or through yoga or, you know, physical therapy, all these different somatic practices, we actually then free up the bandwidth for our higher selves. So it's, yeah, those are things that I totally like have noticed in my life, you know, and and it's really interesting because since it's all connected, sometimes, you know, if I do like uh, emotional practices and I practice gratitude and I'm in a good mood and I feel motivated, I just naturally f- like find like, wow, my posture is improved, right? Extend. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so it's not just a one-way street, but it's beautiful because I think a lot of people think that, you know, to improve mental health, we just have to do these emotional practices, right? That's important. And that was part of my recovery process. But I think a lot of people miss the the fact that when we change the structure, right, and we improve a person's ability to like have better posture and balance, and we work on the nervous system, then that just naturally frees up what is innate to us. You know, I just love that. It's just so, you know, when I work with patients, sometimes as a side effect, we see that, right? You know, before when I was, I do a lot of virtual work now, but when I do a lot of adjustments, even before I knew any of this neurology to the extent that I do now, sometimes doing an adjustment, they'd come in like, I don't know what you did, but I'm, I've just been in such a good mood and like their depression lives. And um, my wife, you could talk to her about it. Something that was part of her experience. She experienced depression and anxiety and it wasn't through talk therapy or medications or even diet and supplements. It was through chiropractic that that broke that. Right. But we understand why now, because it changes the nervous system. It changed her posture. And through that, it changed her mental state. Right. So powerful. I love this stuff. I, I know it's and I'm just like so happy that you're geeking out with this as hard as I am. Like I can tell your passion. <laughs> it makes me so happy because I would have. Uh, you know, especially I would often find this in the parasympathetic areas of the spine. So at the poles, right at the spine and then the sacrum, uh, the neck rather cervical spine and then the sacrum, I would find that when I would adjust, particularly in the neck, if I could get like just the sweet spot, like that just beautiful, you know, soft adjustment for that uh, patient, just like make, you know, I, I always call myself like I would move bones. Like I, you know, I was like a, you know, a bone, like I would call myself a bone moving bitch. Yeah. It's like a bone center. Like we're moving the bones, but sometimes I would have patients. I was just talking about this with my uh, husband earlier. Um, I would have patients sometimes start crying Mm, or start laughing Mm -hmm. or, or they would, especially my women, they would start talking about some of the things that were bothering them. And you would watch this time after time as a clinician, it's a beautiful thing because you would watch this and you're like, this person is getting, this is a release for them. 
Mm-hmm. Right. This is how, so we've released, you know, we've gone into the, you know, we've moved into that space, the, the joint, we've moved it into that paraphysiological space. We've heard, maybe we've heard a crack, maybe not, it doesn't matter, but mm-hmm. you've moved, you've had this micro movement in the spine, you've activated your parasympathetics. And then all of a sudden this person is laughing uncontrollably on your table. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, like I, I used to have an open adjusting area. So everyone was like, what is going on at table oh, one? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I'll take, take what she's having. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people would cry. Like they would just yeah. like, you know, and that's all very cathartic, right? So it's it's like so, them. you know, what you're saying is 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 lighting me up so much because it's exactly what so many people need. And we're talking, we've been talking a lot about the physical brain. I want to move into some of the chemistry mm-hmm. now, but to under, you know, not that there's a hierarchy of things, but we have to have all of them sort of on solid footing, you know, or yep. level pegging in order to really like your, your wife, you know, she did the, she did the chemistry, right. Did the nutrition, did all those things. Maybe she was journaling and doing meditation, but it wasn't until she had the physical uh, intervention that all those things could really meld together in this beautiful way to facilitate that, um, that healing for her. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's such as it's so so fascinating, you know, because it's like this whole idea of the embodied self, embodied cognition, because we're all, you know, beings, energetic beings in this body. And there's so much we can do to shift our lives by changing how our bodies work and move through this world, you know. And, you know, when I talk about the three pillars of brain health, all of them are important, but what I find is just like you were saying, there's a hierarchy. And typically when I work with patients, I don't start with the emotional stuff. Right. I mean, that's partly by training, but more importantly, it's like, I find that when we shift the physical and then the chemistry, then a person has a lot more bandwidth, especially if they're older and they've been through, you know, you know, been through a few revolutions of the world, so to speak. Um, And what I mean by old isn't like, um, like elderly, but just like have our adults, they've been through that. And so a lot of times I find when the physical and the chemistry is stabilized, then through their own experiences, they have then at that point, the bandwidth, a lot of the stuff starts opening up and they could then be able to process the more emotional stuff, you know, yes. and I do help walk them through that entire process because all three pillars are so important. But I find that almost always everyone's different, but starting with the physical and or the chemistry, like getting that solid, sometimes the rest of the stuff just melts away, especially, you know, I work with a lot of patients who have maybe never experienced anxiety or never experienced depression or brain fog before, right? These higher brain functions, so to speak, after, but they did after the concussion. So it's like, okay, so it's not, they don't need to see a psychiatrist or talk therapy. Maybe that's part of it just to deal with their new situation, but the root cause is this neurobiological phenomenon. It's a concussion. There's immunoexcitotoxicity, there's inflammation. So stabilizing it from the foundation first, I find then the anxiety improves. Then the depression starts to go away. Then this chronic stress, right, starts to melt away because those things are addressed. That doesn't mean that the emotions don't need to be tended to. That was part, like I mentioned earlier, that's part of my healing process. But really important, I find that, and I'm glad you brought it up, is that kind of foundation, you know, the physical and the chemistry. When those things are strong, so many things just kind of, disappear, then you can focus on what's left over. Right. Right. 
Let, let's talk a little bit about the chemistry. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the enteric nervous system, gut health, mm-hmm. um, maybe some markers that you might be evaluating. We can also talk a little bit about diet and how that can modulate uh, brain health. So let's maybe just start some general stuff and then we can geek out. But what are some, if you're trying to evaluate um, a patient's, uh, the, the robustness of their brain chemistry or the chemical brain, what might be some proxies that you would look at? for for evaluating that? Yeah, great. So there's three areas that I totally focus in on first. Like there is, you know, when it comes to the chemistry, there's so many different things that can go wrong, so to speak. Yeah. But, you know, again, I there's this hierarchy that, I, that I've worked successfully with. I always start with the foundations, like blood sugar. What's happening with blood sugar? What's happening with the stress hormones and the HPA axis? or more probably the prefrontal cortex, hippocampus, HPA axis, right? What's happening with stress, number two. And then number three, what's happening with gut health. So for blood sugar, yeah, there's a lot of pretty standard tests that people can ask their doctor for. Just looking at like a fasting glucose or hemoglobin A1C, insulin testing. So those are great windows into blood sugar. For people who might not have access to those tests, even though they're standard, like ways of knowing you have blood sugar issues or do you get cranky if you haven't had a meal, right? You have that afternoon slump. Do you have difficulty staying asleep or falling asleep or both? Those are clues that you might have some blood sugar issues. In terms of stress, there's all different types of uh, technologies and ways of measuring that, right? What I do in my practice, we measure salivary and urinary cortisol as well as the cortisol metabolites. That gives us a lot of great information not only in terms of how much cortisol or stress hormones they have is how well are they breaking that down? And those from there, it's like, it's like kind of like this whole detective process, which I love. Then it gives you clues into whom maybe they have a single nucleotide polymorphism that they're not able to detoxify cortisol or adrenaline. And that's why they have trouble like chilling out. (laughs) or That's why I have trouble falling asleep. So with the testing, it's pretty cool. Like, the technologies that are available now, you know, you can not only measure the actual amounts, you can measure the metabolites, which then are a window sometimes into genetic predispositions. But regardless if it's a genetic predisposition or not, armed with that information, there's things we can do like nutrients or lifestyle practices, exercises that can help, you know, optimize a person's genetic deck of cards, so to speak. So that's like related to the stress, you know, number two. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is, like I said, gut health, the gut brain connection is so important for brain health. Um, And we look at things like how well a person is digesting foods, right? How well, like, do they have an infectious process? Do they have bacteria? Do they have viruses, parasites? We can also look at the health of you know, their microbiome in terms of the good bacteria they have. A very important marker that I measure, and I wouldn't say all, but the majority of my patients is what's known as zonulin. It's a marker for what we call leaky gut. And the interesting thing is everyone talks about the gut-brain connection, right? You know, that's such a hot topic these days. And it's really important because it's a breakthrough, right, in the paradigm, how digestive imbalances, aka something like leaky gut, can create brain issues or mental health challenges, but there's also what we call the brain gut connection. And that refers to 
how there's specific regions of the nervous system that control the digestive functions of enzymatic release, like release of enzymes and HCL and blood flow and the motility of the gut. You know, so anyways, that's that's a whole nother conversation we can have. But going back to the gut brain connection. Well, I love what you're saying because it's it's Mm -hmm. it's two directional. Right. And so often you hear and, you know, we have colleagues that are just like it's all about the gut. And it's like, yes. And, you know, yes, it's uh, the gut is really important. But we also have to think about it's not just the gut. We have to think about how the brain is interacting with the gut. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And so, yeah, zonulin is a really important marker. It could measure levels of what we call leaky gut. The reason why I brought up the brain-gut connection is because specifically there's research out there that, that shows that like concussions or TBIs can create a once healthy gut and in a second turn it into a leaky gut or create digestive imbalances. Right. I've worked with patients who have had SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or leaky gut. They've done all the protocols, they've run the stool tests, they've tried the supplements, the diet changes, and they were still struggling. And then I did a, a workup and I found out, oh, they had a concussion like five years ago, which was around the time that their gut started to go south. And I'm glad you brought this up earlier, Stephanie, is when we talk about concussions, you don't need to actually have a blow to your head to experience a concussion. Like I've had patients who just either in a car accident with some whiplash or like you had mentioned, like falling off a bike and not even hitting their head, you know, putting their arm out and this, but the reverberation, right. The actual physical reverberation came up and sloshed their brain around, so to speak. So, um, but yeah, that's, it's really interesting though, is when we talk about the gut brain connection, yeah, it's, it's, a two-way street, you know, and both are really important. And whenever I work with patients that's and clients, I always look at that framework. I always go back to what's happening physically, right? In the physical brain, what's happening with their chemistry and then what's happening emotionally. Because if I have a patient who's done all the gut healing protocols and they're further and further eliminating their diet, then I'm like, okay, what is going on with the physical brain? And is this contributing to their symptoms, you know? So yeah, that's the third kind of like when we explore the chemistry kind of foundation, but then there's single nucleotide polymorphisms, there's hormone imbalances, thyroid, the sex hormones, there's mycotoxins, there's all these other infections that we need to look at as well. Um, But that's usually where I start with my patients, especially if they haven't explored it yet. Let's talk a little bit about the ketogenic diet. And I know that you talked about this in Brain Save, which is your book that we're going to link out to in the show notes. Uh, I am a big fan of the ketogenic diet. It's a, on, I've also run a nutrition program for many, many years on you know, reaping its benefits. So talk to us a little bit about how the ketogenic diet can be a useful medium for helping to heal someone who has had a concussion uh, in terms of, and I'd love for you to touch on like ketone bodies as an energy substrate. And also just for someone who's really like, how can I actually have a lot more natural energy and not have the highs and lows of being glycolytic, as you mentioned, like what their blood sugar uh, picture looks like. So talk, talk a little bit about the ketogenic diet and what your, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I think the ketogenic diet is a powerful therapeutic tool like that can be really helpful for a person, especially after a concussion. Um, one of the reasons for that is, and it goes back to what you're describing, is energy. After a concussion or after trauma or even after just periods of chronic stress, 
what ends up happening, right? If you imagine like 80% of our energy sources as it relates to the brain is used for our everyday life, right? Our ability to think and focus and move and concentrate and have conversations and emotions and feelings. And then let's say 20% is devoted to like the healing process. Like when we go to bed at night, like energy is being used to recover, recuperate from the day, right? Now though, after a concussion, what ends up happening, you have this energy crisis where number one, the brain cells, because they've been injured, they require a lot more energy, right? Just to function. But then number two, what ends up happening is that ratio, let's say it was 80-20, gets shifted where a lot of the energy then gets you know, shunted and moved towards the healing process. And so I find a lot of my patients with concussion, they're just like, oh my goodness, like after my concussion, it takes me like five times as long to like answer an email or, you know, five times as long or 10 times as long to like remember things or go to the grocery store and get things done is because they get so fatigued. It's what we call neural fatigue. And one of the reasons for that is this energy crisis. And so that's why the ketogenic diet is phenomenal because we're pretty much training then our brains to start utilizing fats or more specifically ketone bodies for fuel. The majority of us are just, you know, raised to use sugar for fuel, which is a quick energy source and delicious at times. Right? <laughs> but the thing is, it doesn't last. And that's why I was what the example I gave earlier about blood sugar, it's like, you know, if you a clue that you have blood sugar imbalance is like you crash around afternoon or you just kind of you have these ups and downs that you refer to this roller coaster of energy or your mood, you know, and that's because a lot of our bodies and our brains are relying on sugar. So when we start to increase our levels of healthy fats like coconut oil or olive oil or fish oil or, you know, um, seaweed, things like that, when we start to shift that to more fat and decrease the amount of carbs, which is pretty much what the ketogenic diet is, and making sure you don't overdo protein because um, there's this whole other chemical process that can create glucose. Anyways, like, you know, high amounts of healthy fats, moderate protein and low sugar, then you start training your body, right? Your liver, as well as what we call your astrocytes, which are found in your nervous system to start utilizing the fats convert them into ketone bodies as a super fuel. And oh my goodness, like when I, one of the things, I did a lot of things to heal from my concussion. I told you I experimented with a lot of crazy technologies, supplements, labs, whatnot. But one of the things that really made a big difference for me was the ketogenic diet. Like I, when I did that, like, my my wife didn't even recognize me because usually I come home from like a long day at the office, just exhausted, like just slumped over the table, eating my food and then going to bed or like just vegging out on the couch, watching Netflix or something, you know? And when I did that ketogenic diet, like, and I committed to it and I was measuring the ketones in my urine and all that, Oh my goodness, I'd have a full day, come home, be in this great mood. My in-laws, we'd be at dinner together, like, who is this guy? Like, we <laughs> he's, he's yeah. kind of a nice guy, you know? It was a game changer for me. So I find that the ketogenic diet, you know, everyone's different and unique in what they need. And, you know, there's different types of genetic predispositions where maybe having too much 
even healthy fat might not be a good thing, but I find for about 85, 90% of most people, especially with concussion, they do well with that. You just then have to kind of figure out the ratios, right? you know, and it's, but I find that it's such a powerful therapeutic tool. And now what I do is like, I did that like hardcore for this set amount of time, like 45 days. And now I know I just kind of cycle in and out of it. Right. Where some days like I'll fast, I won't eat right away in the morning and then I'll eat an earlier dinner and then fast, or I'll eat a big breakfast and kind of fast until dinner. So I kind of switch it up and listen more to, to my intuition now, but I think a great starting point is working with someone, getting like a really solid plan. So then you have a framework and then you start to tailor it based on what works for you and what doesn't. And especially with, when we talk about concussion, it can be a therapeutic intervention. Like it doesn't have to be, you're never going to have your grandmother's (laughs) favorite tiramisu again. Like you will, but maybe for the next call it, you know, one to three months, right? Mm -hmm. You can have this intervention, get your body running on ketone bodies. And to your point, like all the energy, like you you sort of, for a lot of people, I noticed that they sort of, as the ketogenic process is starting where they're making, you know, these de novo ketone bodies, uh, there's this bit of like fluiness, like there's this, like, you know, they call it the keto flu, the low carb flu, whatever. And then, but on the other side of that is bliss. It's like, I have unlimited energy. Energy, My brain feels great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can, like you were saying, and that's actually very aligned with my philosophy as well, is there's this therapeutic intervention for a specific goal, in this case, helping the brain heal. And then you can begin to cycle in and out of it as you need it, or, you know, for your, you know, to maintain, like I have a lot of women that come to me for weight loss. So we cycle in and out of it over time so that you can maintain the weight that you've lost. And, you know, we can also work with, you know, protein cycling and all these other fun things that I do with them. But I I love what you're saying. That's great. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it's, yeah, it's all about finding your own set point, right? Your own homeostasis, what works for you. Cause it's like with the, the ketogenic diet, like, I mean, actually with all the dietary changes I made over like the 20 years right, that I've been experimenting, it's like, I found what works for me and I'm a foodie, right? I grew up eating like, you know, food, such a big part of my life and family and friends and connection. It's just like, and your wife, she's, is she Persian, your wife? She's Persian. Oh my yeah, God, like, that food oh, is to die for. It is, it glows, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll eat polyphenols and just, yeah. And just, just one kind of tangent. There's a saying in Farsi in the Persian language called Jaofstade, mm. meaning falling into place. You know how you've had like Indian food and then sometimes the next day, yeah. The, like I've made curry and then the next day I'm like, oh, it tastes so much better because all the ingredients, but I'm sure there's like both an energetic and scientific alchemy that happens yes. with that. Yeah, but I just right. love that idea because a lot of their culture and their food um, is revolved around this idea. So, but yeah, that's the thing through all the dietary changes. It's like, I found ways of still eating things that I absolutely love, or at least satisfying a lot of those you know, cravings or, you know, whatever the needs underneath the food. Like I don't eat gluten or dairy anymore. I might once in a while. Right. But it's like, I found other ways and substitutes where I still get that savoriness. I still get that umami kind of hit, you know, there's ways of doing it where you're not like um, punishing yourself and you're not like 
starving yourself. There's ways of doing it in a healthy way. It takes time. You know, that's usually why I recommend people work with someone to kind of find, you know, have a baseline and then from there, listen to their own intuition. That's great. So if you were, if someone's listening and they're like, I want to know what Dr. Chu did, like, what are your favorite, maybe walk us through like your daily, like what are your brain habits and rituals? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love for you, the other question that sort of tail, like I'm going to tack on to the end of that is supplementation, because mm-hmm. I know we can powerfully supplement to help uh, mm-hmm. augment brain function as well. So what is like a day in the life in terms of if you're thinking about how you want to optimize brain function, what are some of the things that you do? Sure. So I think I, I like it's what I call book ending your days. So that's kind of days spell spelled D-A-C-E. So this concept of book ending your days where you create like a sacred space for yourself in the morning and then a sacred space for yourself in the evening. So what that looks like for me, and it could be different for everyone, is like when I wake up, the first thing I do as soon as like I kind of regain consciousness, so to speak, I think of three things I'm grateful for, right? So it's kind of setting the tone for my day because I found that after I healed my brain and worked on my health, I noticed that whenever I'd wake up, it'd either be from stressful dreams or whatever, I just like worry or just like think about the day and all the things I have to do, tasks or either feel stressed or already just going. And it was a terrible way to set the tone for my day, right? So this idea I came up with bookending your days, right, is in the morning, having some sacred space for yourself, right? Connecting with your higher self. So for me, um, it's waking as soon as I wake up thinking of three things I'm grateful for, you know, and I didn't even start there. What I did first was I would have a gratitude journal for the morning. But then after a while, I found I built that into my routine, my neural networks. And so like, I just, I just do that now as soon as I wake up. And then from there, having like kind of easing into the days, sometimes it might look like meditation. Sometimes it look, might look like playing some really like flowing, beautiful music, like inspire, inspiring music and doing yoga as an example. And then from there, drinking a bunch of water, taking supplements, <laughs> eating a hearty breakfast. And then one thing I found too, this goes back to the idea we talked about earlier, the activating the default mode network. One of your access points to that, to this neural network that's related to insight, creativity, and healing is the vagus nerve. So what I do, especially, you know, I find myself on screens a lot more these days is the palming technique. It's a palm. It's like this practice developed by ancient uh, Tibetan yogis, where you just take the fleshy part of your palms and just do like a gentle eyeball massage. And that actually activates your vagus nerve. So I'll do that all throughout the day. Like I'll take these mini breaks as I didn't do that one as much when I wasn't on screens as much, but just by the nature of life today, that one I found to be huge. So that's a big part of my routine is just making sure I take these mini breaks. Um, There's a reflex with that too. There's a reflex when you are doing that. I I remember when I was learning this um, in class and we would hook patients up to like a a pulse Mm -hmm. ox and we would watch their pulse drop and -hmm. their oxygen, like their, their uh, oxygen saturation improve as well. So there's like a physiological response to doing, to rubbing your eyes. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I love, that's one of the things I love is like studying these kind of ancient esoteric practices and then understanding it in the context of neurology. Yeah, it's the oculocardiac reflex is between the trigeminal nerve 
hits your brainstem and then activates the vagus nerve. It's like, and so it does, cool. it triggers this relaxation response. And again, the vagus nerve is kind of like an axis into that default mode network of insight, creativity, and healing. So it's like a two for one, right? Because I'm on the screen and it relieves tension from my the cranial nerve two, the optic nerve, right, for vision. So it relieves that tension. And at the same time, it gives me this parasympathetic, you know, mini break, so to, so to speak. So that's a big part of my practices, you know. And then, like I said, um, at night then, like I'll take my supplements, dinner, and then at night I'll have the, um, this is like my everyday ritual, you know, then the book and my days, right? So for my winding down the evening, so it'll be something similar. I might listen to like an audiobook, like some spirituality or spiritual teachings or something, or I might meditate or do yoga or just relax with my wife, you know, just kind of talk about the day and integrate things. So that's what I found to be really effective for me in my life. And there's a bunch of things that I do like more, you know, um, maybe weekly or monthly. Like we, we have all this technology at home you know, that we use with our patients, like infrared sauna and low level laser and vagal nerve stimulators, all these things that I use with my patients and clients. Like we use a lot of that and um, my wife, she's a chiropractor as well. So we'll adjust each other sometimes or we'll go get adjusted by people. So that's kind of like the big picture, obviously then like eating clean, healthy. And we do, we'll like do lab testing maybe once or twice a year, just to kind of check in, make sure everything's looking pretty good. So in a nutshell, that's kind of like the, the routine, you know, both from a daily perspective. Oh yeah. And I forgot uh, journaling too. So I journal a lot, which is, really helpful, especially because I'm so busy in my life. I find that when I journal in the morning and, you know, just kind of setting the tone for the day and then journal in the evening in anticipation for the next day or the week. Oh my goodness. Cause before I just kind of like show up in the morning, enter like, you know, to put out fires at the office or whatever. And I found that just by sitting for a few minutes the night before and planning out the next day, even right. Um, and then I'll do monthly kind of like check-ins for bigger picture stuff, but even just sitting down and being like, okay, what's the most important stuff I have for tomorrow? What are some things that, you know, might trip me up and how can I show up as my best self? So those are just kind of like questions that I'll ask myself and kind of go through to then prepare me for the next day and kind of let me create that bookend. That's great. You've been such a wealth of information. Oh my goodness. This is going to be so valuable for Ooh, our Bettys. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> so Bettys. Dr. Alma Bettys. Yeah. So if, <laughs> if people um, want to find you, they want to interact with you. I know we, we just briefly mentioned your book, like tell people where they can find you if, uh, if they wanted to interact with you and get to know you a bit better. Yeah, definitely. So you could go to my website, brainsave.com. And I actually have, for those of you who are interested in what was talking about with the default mode network and activating the vagus nerve, I have this free guide, 10 science-based uh, brain hacks to activate your vagus nerve. Just go to brainsave.com slash vagus. That's V-A-G-U-S. And you have a quick start guide to the vagus nerve. Awesome. I'll make sure that that's in the show notes. Dr. Chu, this was awesome. Thank you so, so much. I know that this is, like I said, it's gonna be so valuable for people. And honestly, it's just so much fun to geek out with another functional right? neurologist, man. <laughs> like it's so good. It's it so is. good. So thank you so much.
Awesome. Thank you. All right, Bettys, that was my conversation with Dr. Titus Chu. I hope that you found it geeky and nerdy as I did. And just as a loving reminder, once you do pick up the Betty Body, whether that's Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you're buying it from, you know, your online retailer, head on over to BettyBodyBook.com. That's B-E-T-T-Y-B-O-D-Y-B-O-O-K.com. And I have some super juicy bonuses in there for you. So I have all the nutrition programs that we talk about in the book, fitness programs, and also rehab as well, because I believe very strongly in spoiling my Bettys because you are worth it. And I would love to spoil you rotten. So head over to the bettybodybook.com and claim all of your juicy bonuses. And until next week, have a great one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment.